Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we have to study. Thank you for seeing us safely through this week. And Lord, as we're about to open the Bible to read, I pray that you'd please be with us. Guide us with your Holy Spirit and help us to have an encounter with Jesus that would bring us closer to heaven this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' encounter with the devil. You know, this is the first encounter that Jesus has after he is baptized, when he first enters into full-time ministry. And we're starting with a familiar text over in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says this, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. You know, Jesus, he went into the wilderness to fast. He had just been baptized and he was praying about his future ministry and how God would be guiding him in this area of his life now. It was a change for 30 years of his life. He'd been growing up in the home of Joseph and his mother Mary and he'd been working in the carpenter's shop. He'd been working there with his father, his dad, and now the tenor of his life is about to take a major shift. He's gone from someone who's been in obscurity all this time, working in a humble trade, now into public ministry. And so as he is about to embark in this ministry for which he was sent to the earth, he needs to spend even more time with God. And so that's why the Spirit led him into the wilderness, not exactly to be tempted of the devil, but the Father knew that this was going to happen. But he needed there time to fast and to pray and to seek God's will. You know, friends, there are physical as well as spiritual blessings that come with fasting. How long have you fasted before? Write down in the comment there. Anyone fasted more than five days before? That's the longest I've ever fasted. And I'm telling you, it was difficult. It is not easy to fast. You know, some people, they can't even fast one meal, right? But Jesus, he'd been fasting for 40 days, not for health reasons as many of us do, to lose weight, to, to renew our immune system and different research that has come out in the modern era that shows us the benefits of fasting, right? He did not fast for 40 days just because he was overweight, not for health reasons. He was fasting to know God's will, to be strengthened, to do His will when the plans are made clear to Him. And so he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. In verse 2, it says at the end there that after that, he was hungry. And at the end of 40 days, we can imagine anything would appear hungry to you. But what happens? Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 4. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. It's at this point that the devil comes to him when he's at his weakest, when he's been fasting already for 40 days. And the first temptation that Satan presents to Jesus is to turn the stone into bread. Look, first we have to look at why would there have been anything wrong with turning stone into bread? I mean, why would Jesus have sinned just by following the devil's suggestion by turning this rock 
into something he could eat because he was so hungry? Well, it actually begins with the first words that Satan actually says to him. What is it that the devil said? He said what? If thou be the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Do you see that? If you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. So what the devil was actually asking was for proof that Jesus would prove himself that he is the Son of God. Now, why? what's wrong with that? Why would there be anything wrong with Jesus proving that he was the Son of God? No one else could do it, right? So this would have been clear evidence. Yes, I am sent by God. But look, it's because of what the devil said. If you are the Son of God. What had happened just before Jesus went up into the mountain to fast for 40 days? Well, let's go back to Matthew chapter 3 at his baptism. Look at what it says here in verse 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And look at this, verse 17, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, not only did the Holy Spirit descend upon him, he heard audibly, at least to him, he understood what was spoken from heaven. His father was saying what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus already had evidence that he was the son of God. He did not have to turn the stone into bread to prove that fact. He had heard the voice from heaven saying, you are my son. I am well pleased in you. He heard this before he went up into the mountain. He heard this at his baptism. He heard this before he fasted for 40 days. He heard this before the devil came to him to ask him proof of his divinity. And friends, Jesus, he relied upon and he had to rely upon the voice of God or the words that he heard from God. This is what you call faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. He had to live by faith in the fact that what he had heard was true and real. Jesus had to exercise faith in regards to this temptation that the devil was throwing at him. And it wouldn't be the last time that he would be tempted by these words. But you see, friends, if Jesus had turned the stone into bread. It would have shown that he was doubting the words of his father at his baptism. So that's a first step. Why would it have been wrong? We see the same words will be repeated again in the next temptation. So two times it would have been wrong trying to get Jesus to doubt his divinity, his connection with heaven, the mission upon which God had sent him. But then coming back to the first temptation of what Satan said, right? If you are the Son of God, I want you to turn this stone into bread. And what a strong temptation 
that would have been. You know, as I said, I fasted for five days before, and that was over 10 years ago, to be honest. The last time I fasted for a longer period of time than just one day was about two to three years ago. It was for, I think, three days. And I tell you, it was difficult. I don't know. I just struggle with fasting. But I remember at the end of the fast, just plain bread tasted so nice. At the end of my fast, all I ate, all they gave me was bread and soup. That was it. But I tell you, it was the tastiest meal I ever had. For those that have fasted before, anything, just the mention of any type of food would make you hungry. And many people, I'm telling you, when it comes to appetite, which was what Jesus was tempted on in this first temptation for the devil, many people have failed the test, allowing appetite to control you. Jesus, he was being attacked on two fronts. First, the temptation to doubt the Father's word as to whether he really was the Son of God. Secondly, the temptation to simply turn the stone into bread because he was hungry. Friends, why was this the first temptation? And why was it so important? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, the Bible says this, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, Christ, he had to overcome where Adam and Eve fell and where humanity failed in general, which was what? The area of appetite. This is what brought Adam and Eve into sin by what they ate in the Garden of Eden, which God told them not to eat. You know, friends, countless of millions of people have been overcome by appetite. And it's on this point that even today, Satan still assails and attacks and overcomes people. Do you know that majority of the diseases that exist today, they're based upon the things that we eat and drink for the most part. When you, when you think about this, for, for example, heart failure, cancer, tumors, high blood pressure, diabetes, all these, what we call lifestyle diseases, it's a, pretty much a, a, an effect from what we decide to put in our mouth, what we decide to eat and drink today. This is all what we call the sin of intemperance, overeating. And it's not just about eating, uh, taking in drugs or smoking or drinking alcohol and killing ourselves that way. Many of us, we overeat. And because we, you know, the Overeating and obesity leads to so many complications in our lives today. Countless millions are still suffering from the sin of intemperance. And they even say that what? COVID-19 was started because of what somebody should have not eaten that they decided to eat, isn't it? The sin of intemperance is still killing many people today. And even in the Bible, not just Adam and Eve, we saw Samson, we saw Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. We even saw Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. So there are so many people, even in the Bible, that were overcome by their appetites. And Jesus came in this first point. Well, it's not that he asked for this temptation. Satan had been so successful throughout the thousands of years 
tempting people and causing them to fall, that he was sure he could catch Jesus here, especially when he'd been fasting for 40 days. And so for Jesus to turn the stone into bread, what a major temptation it would have been. But it was only for his selfish purposes as well, you see. And that was not the reason why Jesus had come to this earth. He had come to overcome in the point where Adam had failed, not to serve his own desires, not to serve his own wants and, and even needs, it seems, after 40 days of fasting, right? Jesus did not exercise any of his power for his own selfish purposes. So what was Jesus' reply? How did he overcome? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread. Well, he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Pardon me, I've just repeated this so much I got excited because we're so familiar with this text. If John 3.16 is the most famous text in the world, this is probably the second most famous text. But Jesus, he counted temptation with Scripture. We are to live by every word of God. And where did Jesus hear the word of God regarding his sonship, his divinity? It was right there at the baptism. He had to rely on that evidence that he had there rather than to prove it all again in time of temptation. Jesus had to live by faith back then at that moment, just as we had to today. So he had to overcome the, the temptation of appetite. Now, let's move on to the second temptation, shall we? Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So the devil again, once again, he prefaces it with, if thou be the Son of God. And so he brings him up to the top of the temple and he hears what Jesus said, it is written. And so he counters now with quoting scripture as well. It is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. Jesus just jump off. God will send his angels to take care of you. See, it's written right there. Friends, the devil knows the Bible. Oh, he won't give you a Bible study that you can be saved. But I'm telling you, he will give you a Bible study, all right, just so you can misinterpret Scripture, just so that you'll be lost. So don't think just because you go to church or just because you've been in a Bible study or just because you've been reading the Bible casually that you are, uh, are understanding what Scripture is all about or that you understand God's will. We have to be so careful, friends, when it comes to the Bible even the devil knows those references himself, but he's not going to use it for the glory of God, but for his own sinful, sinister advantages. But where did Satan quote this text from? Psalms 91 verses 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, 
to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So Satan, he was quoting right here from Psalms 91. But friends, look, there is a difference between what Satan quoted and what Psalms 91 actually says. So I want to put both these texts onto screen. On the left there, Matthew 4, 6, it shows what the devil quoted. Okay, he says, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And you see there in Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12, the similar words, of course not word for word, but friends, there is a difference here. And I'm not asking you to see the difference in word for word, but a thought for thought difference. What is the thought difference? What is it that Satan, he changes or he omits that is written there in Psalms 91? Do you see it? He shall give his angels charge over thee. That's what he said also in Matthew 4, 6. But then it says what? To keep thee in all thy ways. Whose ways? Not our ways. This is the ways of God. God will give His angels to watch over us, to protect us, to keep us in the ways of God. And this is a very, very solemn understanding. Friends, just because we pray, it doesn't mean God's angels are with us. Look, God can only help us. God can only assist us. God can only send His angels to be with us if we walk according to His way, His will, not our will, not our way. Just because you prayed, it doesn't mean that the angels of God are with you. Just because you went to church, just because you opened the Bible, it doesn't mean God is with you. Look, what I mean by this, let me give you an example. If you go rob a bank, but you pray just before that for protection. You ask God, God, please, I'm going to rob this bank now. Please protect me. Do you think God will protect you? Of course not. I mean, that's an extreme case, right? But it's obvious He's not going to do that. If you pray for protection just before you get into your car, and then you get in and, uh, you know, maybe you've made it a habit. Uh, in our family, every time we get into our car before we drive off, we always pray. But then I get into the car and I drive off at 300 kilometers an hour. Do you think God is going to send His angels to watch over me? Probably not. How can God, uh, uh, you know, how can I assume that God is going to be with me when I break the laws of the land and go a dangerous speed of which certainly no one in their right mind should be going today, right? So look, when we pray, we must pray according to God's will. So that when we walk according to His way, He can and He will send His angels to have charge over us, to protect us, to lift us up, to guide us. When we pray, we must walk and live according to God's will. And then when we step out, we're going to make sure that we're still in His will so that God's promises then, like Psalms 91, can apply to us. Now, Jesus, he's brought up to the pinnacle of the temple. The devil says, if you're the son of God, jump off. Psalms 91 says, he will send his angels to have charge of you. Have you ever said that to your friends? Have you ever stood on the third story or the second story of a house and say, hey guys, 
watch this, Psalms 91, and you jump out. Have you ever done that before? It's probably not God's will. And it certainly was not God's will for Jesus to prove himself again to the devil that he is the Son of God by jumping off and presumptuously claiming a promise for which God did not give the provision for in this case. We got to be careful to apply the promises of God correctly. And so if Jesus had jumped off, he would have acted presumptuously. This is what we call the sin of presumption. And look, Jesus does walk on water in his ministry. He does do many miracles, but none of those miracles were for him or for a selfish motive or that would go against the word of God or what he already knew. You see, God had made it clear to him by speaking to him at his baptism, you are my son. I'm well pleased in you. You don't need to prove yourself again. Jesus, if he had done that, he would have shown that he doubted the word of God, that he was not living by faith, and most likely the angels would not have come to his rescue at that time. Everything Jesus did in his life, it was all within the limits of God's will for him. He never went beyond what God the Father wanted him to do or even say. Moreover, the devil started this temptation with what? If you're the Son of God. So what was Jesus' reply? Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus says to him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Once again, Jesus counters this temptation with Scripture. The scripture, friends, is our only safeguard. That's the only way that Jesus fought against the devil and won. You know, what important lesson can we learn from the second temptation? If we read scripture, because remember, in the second temptation, the devil quoted scripture to him as well. So even though Jesus is answering with it, it is written, he has to counter scripture with scripture. So, let me put it in a human context today. When your friend comes and, and he, he starts quoting scripture to you about certain topics, the only way that you should counter him is with scripture. Sometimes we like to use logic. This is what many times we call apologetics, right? We want to use logic and human reasoning to show people why God is true. But friends, the only sure and safe way is to counter temptation and even misquoting of scripture with Scripture. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But we have to be so careful that we don't misquote it. Otherwise, we may act presumptuously on something God didn't even promise in the first place, right? So we got to make sure we know our Scripture well as, as well. You know, in the very beginning, when the devil came to tempt Eve, God had told them what? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And what does the devil come? And tempting Eve, she got nervous maybe, I don't know, but she added what? God said, don't eat or touch it. And that really became her downfall. It was from there that she put herself in a whole lot of trouble, which have led to her eventually to eat the fruit itself. So, 
the sin of presumption. The first one is appetite. The second, sin of presumption. Now, the third. Matthew chapter 4, 8 and 9. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. This time, the devil does not even say anymore, If you are the Son of God. He just throws off his whole disguise and tells what? Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. He wasn't trying to um, just disguise and, and, and deceive Jesus anymore. Now it's just outright, just got to do this. He knows it's wrong. But it still is a temptation to Jesus nonetheless. Why? He was trying to give the option to Jesus to take the easy way out. Jesus, he came to this earth to ransom back, to to bring us back into the fold of God, to buy us back with his blood and his sacrifice. He knew what it would cost to get this earth back and and rip it from the, the devil's hands, right? But now here is devil, the rightful owner, so to speak, because it was Adam and Eve that were given dominion at the very beginning. But when they sinned, they became slaves to sin. They became slaves to the devil. The devil had rightful ownership and he, he had for 4,000 years rightful ownership in a sense of the earth. And now he's offering it to Jesus if you would only worship me. Don't need to die. Don't need to hang on the cross. Don't need to take the hard path. Here's the easy path. All the devil wanted and all he's ever wanted was to be worshipped. And now that was his last opportunity. Here he offers the kingdoms of the world to Jesus. What a temptation. What power he was giving him. What glory. What ease of life instead of taking that sacrificial, self-denying path. Sounds familiar, isn't it? Wouldn't you take the easier way out? If you had a million dollars, sitting right there before you and I just offered it to you, we would always take that easy path instead of going out to earn it, isn't it? And this is not even just about earning it. Jesus did even more than that. He died for it, you see. But you know, friends, what lesson can we learn from this third temptation? Satan, he came outright to tempt Jesus to get him to disobey the Ten Commandments. Every time we resist temptation, friends, it comes out stronger. Look, if we overcome a temptation at this level, it would make no sense for the devil to give you a same and similar temptation at the same level, right? He would only have to give it a bit more because the last temptation didn't work. Oh, so I have to make it a bit harder. And every time we overcome temptation, the temptation gets harder. What am I trying to say? The first temptation that the devil threw at Jesus was not the most difficult. Even though there, Satan, he's disguised as an angel, if you are the Son of God, turn the stones into bread. 
The disguise is not fully revealed yet, but just by the way this angel seems to speak, Jesus knows something is wrong. But finally, in this third temptation, he throws off his disguise. He knows why Jesus is there, and he offers him the easiest path. You see that? And what a temptation this would have been. Just fall down and worship me. Jesus is already weak and emaciated with hunger. He's probably on the ground. All they'd have to do is bow. You see, temptation number one was appetite. Temptation number two, presumption. And temptation number three, power and riches. You know, we have all these temptations in our hearts. Appetite, I mentioned the statistics. And even here in Malaysia, especially in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia, we are the worst in health. Do you know that? We have the highest rate of high cholesterol, high blood pressure. What do we call all these things, friends? We have the highest rate of what you call first world diseases. It's the diseases that when you look back into the Old Testament, the, the, the diseases that, that Jesus, God, promised not to put on the Israelites that the Egyptians had. The, the research has been done. People have gone back and looked at the diseases of the Egyptians. It was the diseases, what we call affluence. Having too much food. Having too much things to eat. And the high variety, the rich flavors, high in sugar, high in salt, all these things, and deep fried. Ah, what we call the diseases of the first world. Malaysia is the worst. And so here we have appetite. Let's not deceive ourselves. Whatever a man sows, that will you reap. Do you know that you're going to gain weight and you think it's not going to affect you at all? You think that, oh, you've been eating deep fried food every day for the past year and you've not gotten fat at all. In fact, maybe you still have a six pack. That doesn't matter. It'll catch up to you, friends, sooner or later. We got to be so careful with our appetite. Appetite is such a strong temptation for all of us. Why? We all need to eat to live. And on top of that, we face it three times a day. Sometimes even more for some people, right? And friends, you can even eat too much of a good thing. So appetite is certainly something all of us face, something all of us are tempted by, something I believe many of us fail at. I know I have in this past seven, eight months st staying indoors and the temptation to just eat and not exercise and not being mobile and going out and about, right? It's so easy to caught up, get caught up with what we eat even though we have good intentions. You know, I just went to the, the exercise shop last this past week and uh, I asked them, how was business? And they're like, it's been booming. People have been, <laughs> have been more into health. But the fact is, do we actually get up and do it? Are we taking our physical bodies into our own hands and learning to live for the glory of God, presenting to Him a what? Living sacrifice, a holy abode where the Holy Spirit can dwell in. Appetite, it's a very difficult issue. And I'm glad that our 40 days of prayer, it's focusing on health. It's focusing on appetite. It's focusing on exercise. It's focusing on the new start. And there might be some things that you go, okay, it doesn't apply. But I tell you, friends, we got to learn how to fast. 
not just for physical, but especially for spiritual as well. That was the first temptation. Second, presumption. Oh, how that affects so many of us. The sin of presumption. We want God to be with us, so we read His Word. And in the Bible, we find so many rich people. People like Abraham, who had 400 servants. He was so rich, he could support 400 people. My two churches combined together is not even that much. And if I had to support that many people in just my churches, I'd go broke and I'll go stressed, get stressed just thinking about it. But this is how rich Abraham was. And we see people like Solomon, who had four, 400 wives, I believe it was, and how many concubines. We want to be like Samson, so strong. When we read the Bible, we, we, we aspire to be like these great men in the Bible, not because of their faith, but many times because of their physical attributes and physical blessings that they seem to receive from God. And so we take shortcuts in God's Word. We try to take matters into our own hands and we take the Bible presumptuously thinking that God wants to make me rich because I have it in my heart that I desire to be rich but someone that is not as ambitious out there does not desire so God that must be from you God please just help me to be rich and we take shortcuts we want to be rich like Solomon we want to be rich in every way where it would sit on a golden throne sleep in a golden bed right but we forget that Solomon never prayed for his riches do you know that? Solomon, he, he prayed for wisdom. He prayed for an understanding heart. And when that left him, the riches became a snare to him. Oh, friends, we got to make sure that when we take God's blessings, we take all the conditions with it as well. We've got to be careful that we're not presumptuous and start praying out of God's will. You know, there was... Something that uh, I heard from Pavel Goya when we had our spiritual week of spiritual emphasis where he mentioned, we do not pray right when we pray seeking blessings for ourselves. We do not pray right when we ask for blessings just for ourselves. So friends, if you're thinking, should I pray to, for God to make me rich? Or, that's not God's will, friends. You let God deal with that in His own time. But too many times, we take shortcuts in God's Word. We want to take the blessings, but not the conditions. We want to take all the spiritual blessings even, just like Jacob, but lie to the Father, you see. We got to be so careful with the sin of presumptuous that we make sure we're not living outside of God's will, thinking that He is with us and His angels are guiding and guarding us when in fact, they're not. And lastly, we want power. We want power and riches that Satan offered to Jesus. What a temptation. We want the easy way out. We want to get wealth. We want to get fame. We want to get power. And so if we don't get it at Christ's altar, many of us, we're willing to go to the altar of Satan to obtain it. Through what? Lying. Through breaking of the Sabbath through the destroying of our homes or dishonoring of our parents, we, we, we tell ourselves that the end justifies the means. In what sense? I'm giving tithe back to God and look, if it wasn't for my tithe, the pastors wouldn't be supported and that's what we tell ourselves. We take shortcuts. 
We tell ourselves, it's okay so long as it's fulfilled. What God promised me, it doesn't matter how I got there, right? But not so with Christ. He stuck to the plan of salvation. He took the only path that would bring true redemption to fallen humanity. It's not that He took the hard way. You see, Christ, He took the only way because He knew to worship the devil would not be only to give up this world, but all the other unfallen worlds as well. So, friends, it's not about two roads and which one's easier and which one's not. And Ben, you're taking the hard way and I'm not, or I'm taking the easy way and you're not. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And we've got to make sure that we're walking according to the will of God. What's the solution for all of this, friends? How did Jesus overcome? It is written, Matthew 4, 10 and 11. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Friends, the scriptures are our only safeguard. Yes, the Bible can help us with our appetites and our passions. It can hold in check how much we eat and drink. And if we believe it and we're willing to allow those words to reside in our hearts, it can change us. It can give us strength of willpower to do God's will so that as the Word of God abides in us, it becomes what? Easier. Not because... I'm suddenly stronger, but Jesus is living in and through my life to will and to do of His good pleasure. Friends, the Bible helps us with presumption. When you pray for wisdom and spend more time in the Bible, you can clearly see how God wants you to live this life. If not, at least He will guide you to someone who can direct you or teach you or show you God's will. When you're spending time in God's Word every day, Give Him the best of your time. He will show you clearly how to live so you don't have to be presumptuous. Can He help with our desires for power, fame, and fortune? Reading the Bible is not necessarily going to make you rich. It will make you content. It will make you happy. It'll give, it'll give you peace in your life. It'll give you the best life on this earth. It might not make you the richest, even though Abraham was rich. But for every one rich saint, there were probably another 50, 100,000 poor saints. It's not about that, friends. But God, He can give you a heart that is content. And in your unconverted state, maybe you scoff at that thought, content? I don't want to be content with just living a poor life. You know, if I had even ministers come to me and say, Ben, I've been poor all my life. You don't understand. And so it's even possible to get into ministry with your heart set on money, money, money. But God, He wants to give us a content heart so we don't scrounge around for those riches. He wants to give us a heart that has its priorities correct, focused on God and worshipping Him. From the beginning of Christ's ministry, friends, He gave us the tools on how to overcome the devil and all the temptations that He would ever throw at us. It is written. But today, how can we make that practical? Where do we start? Start by memorizing Scripture. 
you know, have you tried memorizing scripture before? I've tried it once and uh, I didn't find it very effective for my devotion. So I, I changed it. But, you know, in order to memorize scripture, you got to repeat it over and over and over and over again until it gets written in your heart. You know, when Jesus quoted, it is written, he didn't, he didn't say, uh, devil, just wait. Uh, where was that text? He didn't do that. He counted with the, it is written. He had memorized scripture. He didn't have the Bible poured into his brain because he was the son of God. Every advantage that he had was also ours to command as well, which is the power of a sound mind. And he obviously spent time reading it over and over again. And the more time we spend in the scriptures, whether it's memorizing or just continually reading it and meditating on it, the more time we spend in the scriptures, the sooner we can use it as a, a weapon to fight back against the devil or a shield to protect us with it is written. Friends, we've got to spend more time walking with Jesus. If you're going throughout the day and that day has caused you to forget everything that you read that morning, then your devotion really has, in a sense, been neutralized by the world. It served no greater purpose. It's like taking a pill for a disease that you have and then going and eating some food that will feed the disease even more. Sugar or whatever it is, you know. It's like taking chemotherapy and then go and eat more sugar and more sugar and go eat more roti chanai and all the deep fried foods and everything. It neutralizes it. It doesn't help. We've got to get to the point that we get to the end of the day and we realize that the Word of God has remained in our hearts and our minds. You see, we need to spend that time. We've got to allow God to write His Word in our hearts and minds. From the very beginning of Christ's ministry, we see this first encounter. Right at the very beginning, the devil throws all of hell against him. And Jesus has victory. He commands the devil to leave. And the same power that Jesus had, he gives to us today in the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we speak the words inspired by the Spirit on the scriptures there, we can command the devil to leave as well. But we've got to make sure that we're not overcome by appetite that we're walking according to His will and His way, not presumptuously, and that our hearts and minds are not fixed so fully on the riches of this world that the Scriptures mean nothing to us. Friends, we're at another Sabbath. Have you walked closer with Jesus this past week? Have you been more fervent in your devotion to Him? Have you spent more time in His presence? Have you spent more time in His Word? Has your relationship with Christ been growing deeper and deeper? Or is it heading for a divorce? Too many Christians get baptized and marry Christ within a few short months or years. They divorce Him because they think that Christianity is all about going to church. But friends, it isn't. It's about spending time in His Word. 
and allowing Jesus to write his word into our hearts and our minds. So as we study into these encounters that Jesus had with different people, I pray that we'll find ourselves also having an encounter with Jesus as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you for the victory that we find in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, thank you that through him we can have victory. Thank you, Lord, that by his blood and through his life and resurrection, we are saved. So, Lord, I pray that you'd give us more of Christ today and less of the world. Help us, O Lord, to spend more time in your word. Father, you've given us more time during this time of pandemic. We don't need to be rushing around in our lives and and going here and there for futile things, things that will soon to pass away. Help us, Lord, to focus on more eternal things. May you please give us your word this day and write it upon our hearts and minds. Help us, O Lord, to do our part that you might do yours as well. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.